0: Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 today, and we're going to talk about the cross and our need. Last week we talked about the cross and our testimony. I'm not going to read all of this for you. We are going to refer to a couple different places. But I want you to notice in particular in Matthew chapter 6... Verse 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have had an interesting experience that I know many of you have gone through already that has happened in our home in the last 11 or 10 months or so. Elizabeth got her driver's license and uh, that has be, that has a great convenience for us. It brings with it some concerns, some some uh, maybe worries. Um, she's a good driver, but it you know how it is for parents. But um, at least in our home, what we decided this year um, was that because Carrie um, doesn't drive a ton, she can, but she doesn't drive a lot. Um, She, with having uh, the van at home between the two of us, we we don't usually need two vehicles. Maybe um, 40% of the time we don't need the second vehicle. And so instead of going out and spending money on buying a third car for the fleet to insure, we just were making it work with three drivers and two cars. And that's, that has mostly worked with Elizabeth having a job and having college and all the things she's doing. It's, there's times when it's a bit of a, a complicated schedule, but not too bad. But we've run into another interesting experience that I'm sure those of you who've gone through this have also had. Um, you know, if Elizabeth just had a car for herself, then the question of, um, who's going to supply the, uh, motoring liquid for that car would be very simple. It's your vehicle. You want to use it. You need to put gas in it. It gets a little more complicated when a lot of the driving she's doing is for school because she's taking college classes. Sometimes she goes to Jackson, she goes to Adrian, she goes to Hillsdale. And so, uh, that's part of her education. And so we want to obviously help provide for that, Um, and that we're only using one of our cars. It's not her car, so we use it as much as she does, uh, usually. And so we have to decide when is she going to be responsible for the fuel and and when is she uh, not. But something surprising happened to me over the last year. I found that I get an extreme amount of joy over filling up her car with gas when she doesn't know it and then just leaving it for the next time that she's taking it. I I didn't expect that to be something that I was going to be really excited about, but when I'm borrowing her car or the car that she drives, Carrie's car, when I'm borrowing it or driving it instead of the van, um, which in the last couple of weeks has been more often than not um, because I don't even have a van right now, um, more about that later, but i um, I get such a kick out of just putting gas in it and just waiting for her to see that she doesn't have to do it the next time she goes to school or the next time she's going to work. Um, I don't know why that is enjoyable for me except that she's my daughter. And I love her. And when I can, it's not all the time, I assure you. She's got way too busy of a social life for me to cash flow at all. Um, but I just enjoy knowing that she gets in the car to go somewhere thinking she's going to have to stop to put gas in it because I think teenagers really like that, like between quarter of a tank and empty. Like that's their zone, man. They live, they live there. Um, (laughs) I just like knowing that the next time she gets in the car to go somewhere, she's going to be like, oh, my parents filled up the, the car with gas. The Bible tells us that our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his kids. And when I was thinking about that this week, I realized that this little kick that I get out of doing something unexpected for her must be just a sliver of what God feels when he does something for us that he knew all along he was going to do and he was capable of doing, and we all along thought we were going to have to just handle on ourselves. that this must be what it, it feels like. In Matthew chapter 7, which is also part of this Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at here during Lent, as Jesus really gives the decrees of the kingdom of Christ, this is what it looks like to follow him. The next chapter over from where we're reading today, Jesus says, if you who are evil, meaning you who are human, you who are faulty, you're broken, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask him? And so going into this week, I felt compelled to talk about how when we turn our focus to the cross and turn our back on the world, something different happens with how we see what we need. Now, there's lots of angles that you could approach this from. We could talk about the materialism of our society and how we are so geared to think about all the stuff that we have or could have or spend money on. And it is a sickness, and it's not even a sickness that we've um, uh, labeled very well. We're born into it, we're raised with it, and we just think about what we can have. Not even necessarily in a greedy way, like, oh, I've got to have all this stuff, but, but think about it. How, anybody else here, uh, this is a great example about how it just affects our minds. Was anybody else here affected by the, the cell phone outage this week? Did anybody else's phone act up? All right, just the saved people. Okay. So, um, no, so AT&T had an outage this week. I don't know if you knew that. It affected my phone. Okay. We have AT&T phones all throughout our family. Okay. One of them didn't work. Mine. I was fit to be tied, not because I wanted to be like, oh, I can't watch my you know, show that I wanted to see, or oh, I don't get to check. I couldn't co- I could do that stuff. All I had to do was get on Wi-Fi. I couldn't talk to people. I couldn't make phone calls that I needed. If the kids needed to get a hold of me, they couldn't do it. I'm sending them messages through Wi-Fi messaging saying, if you need to get a hold of me, you're going to have to send it through this. They're all fine. They're all connected to the network. It's working for them. It's not working for me. And for two-thirds of the day, I'm like, what is this fresh, new, deplorable world that I'm living in? I was in no danger. There was nothing wrong with my day. As I recall, it was actually a nice day outside. I could have just put my phone down and gone for a walk instead of trying to make a call every 45 seconds to see if they had fixed it yet which is what I did until about 10 or 11 and finally I was like, forget it. But i we're just conditioned that all the stuff is going to be there. We could talk about it from that angle and there's certainly something there about when we turn our focus on the cross about how it should diminish our ideas of what we need. But I want to move a little bit beyond that even. We could talk about it from the perspective of how tightly do we hold on to our stuff. Are we generous people? When we turn our attention to the cross, really, we should relinquish our control over everything that we have. It is not ours. I'm not saying give away everything that you have, but I think Scripture is pretty clear that if you're not willing to give it away, then you're holding on to it too tightly. And if the Holy Spirit of God ever prompts us to give, and we don't, because we're worried about our stuff, then we're not facing the cross, we're facing the world, we're facing that mindset that says, but what about my stuff? And maybe it's because we've never lived in a world or a country or a society where your stuff can just go, be taken, just like that. This is why I get so frustrated sometimes in the political world when they talk about, like, well, did you know that if so-and-so gets elected or if that party's in control that, like, you know, they're going to come after your, your stuff or your money or your, your freedoms or whatever. And I, I kind of feel like only, and I, I'm glad we live in the country we live in, but only in a country where you have every freedom possible would you be panicked about losing any of them because we've never had the experience of not having. We could talk about it from that angle, about not holding too tightly to our stuff. But instead, I want to address this little sliver of it this morning. Jesus says, do not worry about what it is that you're going to have. Now, some of you are free spirit kind of people. You just roll with life's punches what comes in, you use, you deal with. When it goes out, you don't get too worried about it. Some of us are a little more concerned about the details of everything. How are we going to do it? And I'm not just talking about money, I'm with time. How are we going to fit this in? Well, what about that? You know, Carrie and I will talk, you know, we'll. It, it, mid-morning, late morning, after breakfast, whatever, she'll say, well, hey, can we do this for today or we could do that for today? And I'm thinking, I've had my schedule planned for four days what I was gonna do today. But that's a difference in personality. So it happens with our time. It happens with our schedule. It happens with our money. It happens with our stuff. It happens with our relationships. That sometimes we're just kind of like, okay, hands off. Whatever happens, happens. And sometimes, man, we're just... Worried about every detail and how it's going to play out, what's going to happen. Jesus says when, when we're facing the cross, when we are surrendering to him, that we should not worry. Now, I want to, I want to get something straight with you because this occurred to me this week. I do not believe that what Jesus was saying is that it is sinful or inappropriate for us to think about or be concerned about what we have. I don't think that's, that's the case. Jesus is talking about a kind of worry that begins to detract from our ability to trust Him. So there is a difference between being so worried about something that you are convinced that there is no solution to it, and simply being um, mindful of the details of your life, okay? So when Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, he didn't mean go to work tomorrow, quit your job, cash out the 401k, go spend it all, then come back to church next week and say, all right, I'm not worried about it. I don't have a car, I don't have a house, I don't have clothes, I don't have food, I don't have anything, but I'm not worried. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that in our focus on what we have, we should not be so drilled into the what ifs and hows that we lose our ability to trust in him. Do you see the difference? So he says, don't be consumed with what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to get to do, how much am I going to have? He says the Gentiles or the pagans focus on these things. People who don't have an all-knowing God with whom they have a personal relationship, they worry about these things because for them there is no answer. The only answer is me. I've got to provide. I've got to do. And so he wants... His followers, embracing the cross, the way of the cross is to say that it's not that I'm not focused on those things. Appropriately, I may be, but I everything about them means that I have this view in mind that ultimately it is not up to me. No doubt we have a wide variety of experiences in this room this morning. For some of you, things are going pretty well, Maybe. You haven't had to worry about stuff maybe for a long time when it comes to what you have or what you need. Others of us may be in, in seasons or periods of, of life or time where where you know there's you take anti-anxiety medicine to balance the checkbook. Like it could be. All right, those times exist too. Okay. So in that experience, though what Jesus calls us to is a realization that he is still above that fray. He he is beyond it, and he provides for us. So surrendering our physical things to him is not just about, again, not being materialistic or not holding too tightly to our stuff, not being generous people. We should be generous people, but that's, that's not just what it's about. It is also about Him meeting the need, and crucifying on that cross of Christ our focus on how desperately we need the physical in order to feel at peace. Jesus says, don't you realize that your life or life, the life I'm offering you, is more than food And even your very bodies are really more than the clothes that you put on them. And so, if God is able to feed the birds and clothe the grass of the field, what are you worried about? They didn't go to work this morning. And God takes care of them. He's not advocating for us just not to go to work tomorrow. But he's saying, why are you worried? Why are you zoned in on the what ifs? When we sacrifice the what-ifs on the cross, it opens up more room for the eternal things in our hearts. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's happened to me. When you're worried about how much you've got or how you're going to make ends meet or what the situation's going to be or how it's going to play out or your schedule... The more that you are focused on the what-ifs, did you notice that you spend less time thinking, discerning what God wants you to do for that day, how he wants to work in you? Do you know why you spend less time doing it? Because you're using up your capacity to worry about the what-ifs. I know this is true. It happens to me regularly. And if I do go to read my Bible, all I want to read in the Bible is the passages where it talks about how he's going to provide because that's all I can think about. Instead of just saying, Lord, I'm going to go about my relationship with you the same as I did yesterday because you're the same God you were yesterday. Can I encourage you with something? Whatever it is that is the need that you have today, relational, physical, monetary, time, whatever it is, work, whatever, whatever the need is that you have today, God knew it was coming before you did. That's that's good news. That's good news. He's already made provision. The most recent time that I took the opportunity to fill up Elizabeth's gas tank for her, I didn't know that later that day when she was going to go to work, she was going to sleep through her alarm. Neither did she. But I know that when she got in her car, sort of running late for work, and saw that the gas tank didn't have to be filled on her way to work, it changed the whole situation for her. God knows what you need before you ask. And so we read, seek first the kingdom. He didn't say that we shouldn't pay attention to these other things, needs in our life. He just said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the cross the world behind me what's the difference about something being behind you and something being in front of you in order for when something's behind you in order for you to focus on it you've got to make a willful act to turn and look at it right but when it's in front of you you're naturally gazing on it so when the cross is before us and the world is behind us it is not to say that the physical no longer exists in our minds There were heretics early in the Christian church that tried to teach that anything that was physical was evil, including our own physical bodies. That's why they believed that Jesus couldn't have actually been a physical being, because if he was, he couldn't be divine, because the physical was evil. That's how we came up with the Nicene Creed, one of the reasons why. So it's not to say the physical doesn't exist, it's not to say it's not part of our lives. We're saying it's behind us. It's not the focal point. It's not where our desire is. It's not where we're looking. You say, okay, Wes, that sounds great. But you haven't looked at my checkbook. You haven't looked at the bills that I've got. You haven't looked at the, the, how crammed my schedule is. No, no, I haven't. But in the text, I don't see Jesus saying, don't worry, except for some of you. It's really bad for some of you. You you go ahead and worry. That's not what he said. And I'm not trying to downplay it. We've all been in circumstances and situations where the pressure, and sometimes when I talk with people who are going through financial crisis, I do this um, some with our work with United Hudson Churches, I've been doing it for 15 years. Like, I tell them, look, I understand that when the finances are out of whack and that kind of pressure is sitting on your chest, it is so hard to focus on anything else because it just weighs on you. So it seems audacious, doesn't it, for Jesus to be like, so don't worry. But this is the guy that filled nets of fish by speaking to the water this is the guy who paid his taxes out of a fish's mouth i think we're going to be okay i wonder if our physical need and our surrender of that to him is actually a window into our spiritual need and our willingness to surrender that as well. Here's what I mean. If we have not learned to submit our physical need to the Lord, the things that we can actually see, how likely are we to really surrender our sin and temptation and struggle to the Lord? when those are the things that we can't see, they're inside of us. I actually think that yes, Jesus is talking about providing for his people. I do. But I also think he's wanting them to see you have to let go of control of it all. Your needs, the physical, your schedule, your influence, your relationships, and your spiritual need, if you hold on to any of it tightly, I can't work. Suppose that I came out of the house tomorrow morning intending to go put gasoline in the gas tank for my daughter, and she had got up earlier than me to vacuum out the car seats, to go along the side of the road and collect cans, to make a few pennies to go put a gallon of gas in her car. She, and there's nothing wrong with that, with making that effort, but if she had taken the car to go do those things, I would have never been able to fill up the tank for her. Right? She's busy trying to scrounge around and do what little bit she can when I'm standing back here saying, I'll fill it for you. How many times are we scrounging around in our spiritual existence for crumbs between the seats when the Lamb of God has prepared a feast for us that we can only get into by relinquishing our control? So you say, okay, Wes, what does it mean to relinquish our control? You started off by saying there's nothing wrong with focusing or thinking about these things. It's more about worrying about them or being overwhelmed with them. So where is that line? Some of you are very good about knowing where the line between just, just being kind of appropriately concerned and worrying is. I have never been good at finding that line. I'm like, I'm this complete extreme all or nothing person. Like I'm either, I'm either like, hey, I'm like, Everything's great, no problems. Or I'm like, it's mac and cheese for the next three weeks. That's the world I live in. I'm just, I'm on one hand or that. I can't get, so, so I, I'm not trying to answer this for you. I'm really trying to answer it for me to say, so where is the line between being appropriately focused and not being worried? And I think where the line is, and this is what God seems to keep hammering away at me, where the line is, Is when we learn to say, Lord, I'm going to take the next step that you've placed in front of me with all of the diligence that I can of following you, and I'm not gonna worry about the 10 steps after that. Peter, get out of the boat, come to me. Sure. Peter gets out of the boat, steps onto the water, everything's good, until he starts looking at how much of the water he's gotta cross and he starts to sink, you see? I think what God is saying is in our spiritual lives, which are represented by our physical lives. Scripture's pretty clear about that. Our need on focusing on the cross is to surrender our control for the what ifs and simply step in the moment that he's given us. I don't always know what that is for you. I can't tell you this morning, like, so come up to me after church, and I'll tell you what the next step is in your life. I don't know. But here's what I know. Because we live in a physical world and in a society where we're used to having and in a society where we have been conditioned to think, just do it yourself, Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Be your own man. Be your own woman. Take care of yourself. Don't rely on anybody else. We forget that He knows what we need before we ask. I don't know how many of you pay close attention to the news. Um, I don't as much as I should, but I try to at least be aware of what's going on in the world. This verse, the Lord knows what you need before you ask, came to my mind this week. Months ago in the news, there was an update about some changes that were being made in the state of Michigan because there had been a turnover in Lansing with the elections last year and so forth and just different people in control of different things. And so they were making some changes about how um, government was being run and how different taxes and different things. And, and I think I remember hearing about it, but I didn't, I didn't think about it. It's just more jumbled garbage in the, hey, politicians are doing something somewhere. You should probably care about it. And it, it just didn't register with me. It wasn't a major news story. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was affecting our lives. It wasn't anything like that. So it was just, hey, changes are happening. Okay. I am, a, some of you know this. Um, had a, a, I've had a bit of an interesting last year when it comes to my interaction with the government. Um I've told a few of you, you know, um, we're, we're still waiting on our uh, tax uh, return refund from um, 12 months ago when we filed our taxes. And it's not the end of the world, but it was money that we would have used for some specific things like, um, for example, major car repairs that we weren't expecting. It's nice to have a little extra cash in there sometimes to use for those kinds of things. Um, the good folks at the at the IRS have held on to our money for 11 months now, and um, we're sure that they're taking good care of it. But um, in the meantime, um, life has gone on, and we've taken uh, we had to take a trip to New York for Carrie's grandfather's funeral. And so many of you know that we ended up being out there for two extra days because our van broke down, and um, that was a chunk of money that we had to pay not expecting to on the van and he said by the way when you get your van back home you need to have some other work done on it it'll get you home but go see your mechanic when you get back and um yeah I'm like it's 14 years old what could be wrong with it so we took it to the mechanic and sure enough um, there was stuff wrong with it and so um, they fixed some stuff and doubled the amount of money that we now had put into the van in the last five weeks And got the van back um, to find out that whatever they had fixed had not fixed what was actually wrong with it, at least not completely. And so I was going to have to take it back in um, again. And and so the numbers are going up. Some of you know this because I've told you. Some of you might just know this about me. Um, But um, I have not been pleasant during this time period. Um, I have been worried... I was surviving Carrie and I had looked at all of our finances we thought okay we can make this work we got to get this other repair done we've now spent a big chunk of money in New York and a big chunk of money here but okay we've got we've got that We'll, we'll figure it out on Thursday or Wednesday afternoon the mechanic tells me that the thing that I had sent it in to get fixed in order to, to fix the problem, the real problem, was going to be another chunk of money north of $1,000. And it's not his fault. The Lord loves him, and I love him too. It, I, it was not a good moment for me. I didn't treat him badly, but I got off the phone and I was just a rather cranky person. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I are, this was on Thursday. I already knew I was preaching this sermon today, and I was in no frame of mind to preach this sermon or preach or come to church because there's another chunk of money that I'm going to have to pay. And either the van could cooperate or the IRS could cooperate, but when neither one of them is cooperating, I'm just a little frustrated, okay? I'm just a little frustrated. You got to fix it. We thought we could take care of the earlier repairs, probably pay those off, but I don't know about this. Friday afternoon. Carrie called me. I couldn't hear her very well on the phone because we were on our way out to drop the kids off for the winter retreat. So we were out near reading, where, uh, I don't know, cell phone service goes to die or whatever, but we didn't have any cell phone service. I finally got a connection with her. I'd been reading or thinking earlier in the week because I had listened to a message that one of my pastor friends from out in Wisconsin had preached last week about sort of this subject and he was telling stories that people had submitted to him about how God provided for them. Oh, unexpectedly God did this, unexpectedly God did that. And I've heard those stories, you know, orphanages where people just dropped off, you know, groceries to feed the hungry kids and, you know, bills that just ended up getting paid or checks that came in the mail. I'm like, checks that just come in the mail. Like, you mean people really like pray to God and he puts a check in their mailbox for however much money they need? Like, I don't, I I am too, like, that's not my Christian experience. And I love it that God does it, but I really feel like left out. Like, like, God, if you would just do that once for me, then all of the other times that I was worried, I would at least be able to point back to that because you know, and I know that if that's never happened to you, when you hear somebody else tell a story like that, that happened, you kind of go like, yeah, maybe that's what happened. Right. Okay. Probably. But like, mm, that sounds a little far-fetched even for God. Okay. And so I've been thinking all week, like this does not happen to people. I mean, it does, but it doesn't happen to me. I got to find a way to, you know, get on the phone with my congressman to call the IRS. That's what I'm doing. Literally, that's what I'm doing to try to figure out how to make ends meet, whatever. This sermon is already partially written. I don't even know how, because I barely seem to be believing any of it at this point. Carrie called me and she said, you didn't open the mail today, did you? No. I had looked at it, I knew a couple of the things that were in the mail that I was expecting, the rest of it was junk mail. Except there was one envelope that wasn't. Apparently, a year ago, or six months ago, when these newly elected politicians were making changes that I could have cared less about, they made a change to the tax code in Michigan to affect the tax year that ended last year. Again, that's exciting, nobody cares. As the government would, it took them months and months to actually process the change. And not related to the money that the IRS is dutifully playing steward to that belongs to us, The state of Michigan decided that based on our tax returns from a year ago that they owed us just a little bit more money. Not a lot, just a little bit more money. And sent us a check for the exact amount plus about $100 of what this car repair is going to cost us. And Carrie said, you didn't open the mail, did you? I said, no. She said, there's a check in there. And she told me, and the first thing I said was, like, you're making me cry in front of my friends because I was with Pastor Brian at the time and we were taking kids to camp and, and he's driving and he thought somebody died because I was acting like this and it was a whole thing. And here I was. The pastor of a church, writing this sermon, dealing with this issue, convinced in my mind that God couldn't send me a check in the mail. Now, you could make a very logical argument that God didn't send me the check in the mail. The state of Michigan did. And whatever else the state of Michigan might be, they're not God. Don't tell them that, but they're not. Okay? Okay? but this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask for it. I'll give him one better. He knew what I was going to need when I didn't bother asking for it because I didn't think he would send it to me. That's what he did. Now, I'm in no better financial position than I was Two weeks ago. But where I was at on Thursday was about the end of my ability to keep saying it's going to be okay. And my wife, who's like this with God and has all the faith to move mountains, just kept saying it's going to be okay. And so after she said you didn't open the mail, she next said what any good wife would say, which is you never ever listen to me. it's not all better. Things weren't that great as we're waiting for things to kind of sort themselves out a month ago. But God said to me on Friday afternoon, what did you think? What did you think? And is it I assume, based on this was apparently a law that passed, that this is affecting other people. I don't know. Go home and check your mailboxes. I don't know. (laughs) But, like, I don't know. And would we have gotten it anyway? Even if we didn't believe? Probably. All I know is that on Thursday, I didn't know if God really provides for people unexpectedly, and I went ahead and took the next step that I felt like he was giving me to take and just do what, he, what was in front of me, and on Friday, he took care of it. That's all I know, and I feel a little bit like the blind man, right? Who Do you remember that story where after Jesus healed him, the people came up to him, and they're like, well, how did this happen, right? Was this really, did, who really healed you? were you really blind to begin with? Did you really have this problem? And the, you remember what the blind man said? He said, I don't know. Here's all that I know. I was blind, I'm not anymore. That's all I know. And I feel like that's where I'm at. I don't know. I don't know about any of the details. Don't particularly care. This is what I know. Beyond the paying of the bill, that's just a little thing. It got, I'm sure it would have gotten figured out somehow. Okay, beyond that, On this week, for this sermon, for this guy, which you may or may not know me very well, but like this is a struggle for me. God said to me, quit freaking out. I've got it. I knew what you needed before you asked for it or didn't ask for it. I I know where you're at and what your position and situation is. And, and I know. And like Darcy was sharing in her testimony, like Sharon shared in her testimony, like, like God is, is working on things. Bills, sometimes. Relationships, addictions. People who have walked away. I've had two or three conversations just in the last handful of months about young people from this church that I didn't know where they stood with the Lord. I had been their pastor and heard about how God was working in their life and how they were walking with him or wanting to walk closer to him. I don't know. But I know that he says, why would you worry? If I am able to feed the birds, and to clothe the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow goes, gets mowed down or put in the fire. Am I not able to take care of you? So here's my, here's my thing, okay? Here's my word. Here's my invitation for you today. Look, if you have a, a, a financial need, I don't know if God's putting money in your, in your mailbox today. I don't know. I don't know, kind of like it if he'd do it again, you know, just to prove it was true. I'd play like a Gideon, like, Lord, if this is true, put another check in my mailbox. I'm not gonna do that, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know what he's gonna do for you. If it's a relationship or an addiction or a temptation, I don't know for sure what he, he, he's going to do, how he's gonna do it, but I know he wants to do it. If it's a schedule, if it's a work thing, if it's overwhelming, if it's pressing on you, I don't know how he's gonna do it. How is he going to provide the next step? I don't know. Maybe you just, every day is overwhelming for you and you don't, it, it, it's beyond one thing. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I know I had to stand up here and tell you this today. You can call it a coincidence if you want. All I know is what was and what is. What is. He didn't do it, he doesn't do it because we're good little Christians and we just do what we're supposed to do and so then he blesses us. That's not it. But he's saying when you get the world out of your windshield, when you're not zeroed in on the world in front of you, you've put that behind you, it's there, but that's not how you're seeing things. And you put the cross before you, what do we see? We see a God who died to give us everything that we would need, including our spiritual redemption. And if he is able to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life, don't we think he is also able to get us through today and then tomorrow and then the next day? I want to invite you to stand with me. We're not going to make this long and drawn out. I'm not even really going to give you an invitation, per se, to respond to. But I am going to give you just a moment to think about this. Is there some area of your life where you know you need to say to the Lord... okay, I'm just turning it over to you. And you do whatever you want. Maybe it is something that you have been worrying about. And by worrying, I mean you've turned back around and you're facing it yourself. You haven't put the world behind you. You're looking, you're looking at it square in the face and you're trying to figure it out yourself. Maybe, and I don't know if this is helpful to you or not, but maybe like me, I don't know if pastors usually get up and tell their congregations like where they're struggling. But maybe like me, like you're in a position where you're like, do I think God can do it? Yeah, do I think he will? No. Cuz that's where I was at this week. Like if you had come and said, "Wes, can God provide for people?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm writing the sermon. Hello. Of course he can. It's in the Bible." Is he going to do this for you? No, probably not. Right? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've surrendered something to him. You've done it. You said, Lord, you take it over and you're still waiting. And maybe this is just a reminder to you that it's gonna, it's okay. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I don't know where you're at with all of it, but can we take just a minute of silence, just, just a minute? Where wherever you're at with those things, just take a second in your heart to once again affirm that God, this is yours. It's yours. And I want to be generous, and I want to be trusting, and I want to be faithful, and I want you to just do whatever it is you got to do. Let's take just a minute and say that to the Lord in the privacy of our own hearts before we close. Lord, you know. You know what we have struggled with. You know what we've held tightly to. And you know where we have sinned by not having faith and confidence in you. There are some here, Lord, who have surrendered things already to you and they're really wondering, are you really going to take care of it? Remind them today, Lord.
1: There are some of us, Lord,
0: who are needing repentance because we have not trusted in you. We have given you the words of our mouth, but we haven't really given you the meditation of our heart. Lord, there are some who maybe this morning are realizing in a fresh way that they've got to relinquish. Whatever it is, we pray that you will work and that you will remind us of our dependency on you and your love for us. So take us from this place. May we be wholly yours We love you. We trust you. And we have confidence in you, our Lord. Amen. My friends, it is easy in the congregation during worship to be like, yep, I'm going to surrender to the Lord. And then you walk out of those doors and it hits you in the face like a ton of bricks and you just grab it right back from him. I know because that's I've lived there. Can I just encourage you to go today in the grace and in the peace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will provide. Amen? Do we believe it? And when it happens, tell your children, tell your neighbors, tell the people around you, tell your church family, like we've been doing this morning, because we grow together by hearing the confidence that we can have in God. Amen. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at HudsonWesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.